Thank you so much for worshiping with us, and thank you uh, to our worship leaders for doing such a great job uh, as, as they've been leading us during our church at home season here. I want to begin this week again by asking a question, but unlike the other weeks when we've asked a question and asked you to write your answer and engage and comment, this one I want you to more just kind of think about. This is more of an inside question than an outside question, an examination kind of question. The question is this, what's the most important thing about you? What's the most important thing about me? What's the most important thing about anybody? And maybe since it's Sunday morning, you're thinking really religious and you're thinking, do you know the Lord or something like that? But I want to think just outside of Sunday morning, what in the the daily routine of our lives do we actually beneath the surface without thinking about our answer really think is the most important thing about somebody? And as adults, I think that's reflected in one of the first questions we usually ask somebody when we meet them. When we're getting to know somebody, one of the first questions that adults, especially guys, that we tend to ask is, so what do you do for a living? And the thing is, that that's, that's kind of like a, a sneaky way to ask all the stuff we think defines a person or is most valuable about a person. Because what somebody does for a living determines, so are you rich, right? Do you make a lot of bank? That's really what we're asking because... We place so much value on that level of success. Or maybe we think in the job title we'll know, have they risen to the top of their field? Are they climbing the ladder, right? Or maybe their answer reveals that that they do something you've got to be really smart to do. It's like, oh, so you're a brainiac. Okay. Or maybe in the answer to that question we're finding out, okay, it's not that you make a ton of money or that you have to be some brilliant multiple degrees, but you're doing something really good with your life. Maybe we're, we're listening out to hear if they're a first responder or a teacher or something, and we're like, oh, so you're a good person, right? That, that question means so much more underneath the surface than we sometimes give it credit for. But that's not the most important thing about a person. The most important thing about a person is not what we do for a living. It's not how much money we make. It's not where we live. The most important thing about us is not how many followers we have on social media. The most important thing about us is not whether we're good looking, whether we're in perfect shape, whether people think highly of us. The most important thing about us is not uh, our family dynamic. The most important thing about us is not our education or what we're good at. The most important thing about us isn't what we've overcome what we've been through in life and have survived. The most important thing about us is not what we own. It's not about the stuff that we've got, and it's not about our Enneagram number. It's not about how well we know ourselves. The most important thing about us is not our wins or our losses. The most important thing about us is none of those things. About 25 years ago, I read a book by A.W. Tozer, and he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. A few years ago, I read another book by Louis Giglio called Not Forsaken, and he reminded me of that quote that I'd forgotten from all those years ago about Tozer. Extraordinary book that really will drive much of what's been on my heart these last few weeks that I want to share together this morning. What comes to our minds when we think about God? the most important thing about us. And here's the deal. All of us have a lot of ideas about God. All the noise of our life experiences and what the culture thinks and all that, 
tend to shape a lot of different views about God. Views that maybe we don't even recognize because they're below the surface, right? And in Giglio's book, he, he mentions some of these kind of stereotypical views of God that we see in our culture or that maybe we saw in our upbringing. The first one he mentions is Grandpa God. Right, that this vision of God that he's really nice, he's got the white fluffy beard, and he's always got candy in his pocket, and he's always interested in like sitting down and telling stories, but he's kind of old. He's out of touch, right? Like Grandpa God doesn't know how to text, or at least he does it with one finger, right? Like the way my mom texts, you know, like hi, right? Like that's all Grandpa God can text at a time, right? He doesn't know how to use the remote or how to operate the Wi-Fi in heaven, you know, he needs some help from a younger angel with that. Grandpa God is just kind of out of touch, right? He's a gentle soul. He's just a little removed from us. Or maybe here's another view of God. Maybe what comes to mind when we think about God is scorekeeper God. Scorekeeper God. He's he's the one who's always keeping lists, right? And, and maybe he's got like a little abacus to know, are we moving up the list or down the list of our good deeds, right? And even this picture of God, uh, that this this painting uh, from the 1500s, God's got the finger up like he's going, oh, that was good. Oh, no, that was bad, right? And some of us have that scorekeeper view of God that he's always keeping track. Did we do it right? Did we get it wrong? Oh, uh, mm-mm. and it's this constant balancing act of whether we've got it together enough for him or not. More and more, there's this this next view of God, and that is the cosmic force God, right? This this God who doesn't have a name, who doesn't have any personhood, he doesn't have a face, and so he can't really relate to us. He's just abstract, and he's out there. God is just an invisible force. He's just kind of like a cloud somewhere, so we can't know him, and he's not really involved in our life. He's just floating somewhere. And then there's this view of God that I know a lot of my life, I tend to default to this view of God, and that is angry God, right? And it's not so much scorekeeper God where he wants to keep list of rights and wrongs. Angry God is just specifically looking for wrongs. (laughs) He's anticipating that with lightning bolt ready to, right, as soon as we make a mistake. And that's been, I think, much of religion's view of God throughout history. As a matter of fact, that picture there of angry God, that's from the roof of the Sistine Chapel. A pretty iconic uh, picture of who God is, right? And it reveals this angry, kind of always ticked off, expecting us to fail and ready in a moment's notice to punish us for the failure. That's the view of angry God. The, the next view of God that Giglio describes in that great book is the idea of butler God, right? Butler God. If I were writing the book, I would have called it Chick-fil-A God, right? Like it's just his pleasure to serve you right? My pleasure. What do you want? You tell me what you want and you can have it. I'm here to serve you. Really, it's a version of God where God makes us the center of his universe. He almost makes a a God out of us. And the danger in that view of God is when life goes sideways, we think God didn't do his job. Like you're fired. You're a terrible butler. You can't work at Chick-fil-A anymore. Now you have to go to work for one of those lesser fast food restaurants. Butler God fails us if life isn't everything we want it to be. Another view of God is is the idea of stained glass God. And I I love this picture. This is from Holy Sacrament Church in Paris, France. And I love how bored God looks in this picture. Like 
even he is bored with this religious high view of himself, right? And stained glass God is this, we have to talk in a whisper. And we probably should speak in Latin so no one knows what we're saying. And it's just this stale and cold. And there's a lot of echo in this version of God, really high ceilings. And we all just kind of walk around like this. Like that's the stained glass view of God. And maybe some of us grew up that way. So the opposite of that, the other extreme of that would be the next view. And that is maybe when you think of God, you think of hipster God. Right. Like maybe your view of God is the God whose mission in life is to be cool, like go into all the world and make people think that you're relevant. (laughs) Like hipster God's mission in life is to seem like he's cool enough to fit in, even though he's still God. Right. Maybe just trying a little too hard. Maybe when we think of God, what comes to our minds is the idea of buddy God. Right. Like he's just always there. He's not really that powerful, and he's not necessarily in control of things, and he's not going to engage in the affairs of our life, but he'll be with us and just be a shoulder to cry on and and be there, which is an element of God for sure. But Buddy God only sees him as that companion, not really very authoritative, not really very powerful. And then I think all of us, whether we realize it or not, on some level or not, we all struggle to think of a version of God that, that Louis Giglio calls me God. <laughs> this version of God that looks a lot like me and sounds a lot like me, has the same political views as me, has the same views on uh, controversial topics as me, has the same value system as me, same desires as me. And what we've done is we've actually just created a version of ourselves because, well, who doesn't want to worship us? We're great, right? Th- this me version of God. And then the next one we would discuss would be the the version of the buffet God. It's all of the above. It's the idea that all roads lead to God. doesn't matter what you think about when you think about God. If you're thinking about God, that's good enough. You don't actually have to have any truth. As long as you've got warm fuzzies about God, then you're on the right path, right? And then the final one that, that we'll discuss here before we jump into the text is the idea of the no God God. That is what comes to mind when you think of God might be nothing at all because you don't believe there is such a thing as a one true God. And by the way, that that's the fastest growing group of religion in the U.S. today is the idea of people who say, I don't have a religion. I don't have a view of God. I, I don't think there is such a thing or I think it's so important, uh, so unimportant rather that I don't even care. Like I don't have a view. And the reason all of those different categories are important is because. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And and if we have an incorrect view of God, an untrue view of God, we'll spend our whole lives chasing after a version of God that doesn't exist, that we created ourselves. Or worse, we'll spend our lives running from a version of God that doesn't actually exist that we've created this version in our own imagination through our own life experiences. And I don't know about you, but for me, many of the things I struggle with the most about God are actually not things that reflect who God really is. Because of my experiences, my failures and successes, my hurts and my wins, I've shaped this view of God. And somebody said to me one day, they said, you don't actually have a problem with God. You have a problem with the caricature view of God 
that you've created in your own mind. Wow, what a powerful truth. Mark Batterson wrote in one of his books, he said, if you don't love God, it's because you don't really know God. If you don't love God, you don't know God. Because if you know the real God, who he's really revealed himself to be, who his heart really is, you can't help but love him. And so this morning for a few moments, I want us to look at who God really has revealed himself to be. Please grab your Bible. We're going to say our creed together and read just a couple of verses this morning as we look at God's word. Because I believe what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let's let him speak to us about who he really is. If you're just jumping on today and you're not familiar with us, uh, we say a creed every week before uh, we read this book. And uh, the first part's a declaration of faith and the second part's a prayer. And it'll be on the screen here. I invite you to say it out loud with me wherever you are. Don't feel awkward. It's all good. We think this is worth saying out loud to strengthen our faith. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart. And awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that along with us. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8 is considered uh, the most influential, the most transformative, and Martin Luther called it the most important chapter in all the Bible. Romans chapter 8. Now let me go ahead and tell you. I know school's out for the summer, uh, but here's your homework for the week. If you're looking for somewhere just to dive into God's Word this week, here's my encouragement to you. I encourage you to read Romans chapter 8 every day this week. Read it slow. Take your time. Walk through this text. But for the next week, I encourage you, just kind of marinate in this incredible chapter, Romans chapter number 8. But for this morning, we're just looking at two verses. We're going to just look at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And there it is. I believe that the truest expression and understanding and glimpse of God is as a father, a perfect father. As a matter of fact, 189 times just in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 189 times, Jesus referred to God as father. Far more than any other descriptor, far more than any other explanation, Jesus constantly was pointing us back to this vision of God. Father. And he wasn't doing that because of biological reasons. We don't believe that God actually impregnated someone and then Jesus was born. We believe Jesus is eternal. The Son of God is eternal. He's not actually the Son, as in offspring, and God's not actually the Father, as in he fathered him. God calls himself Father for our benefit, to help us understand who he is, so that when we think about him, what comes to our mind will be true to him, will actually reveal who he is. He is Father. 
So in the, in the single moment in Jesus' life where it was his, hey, I'm Jesus. Hey, I'm the Messiah. Hey, I'm the Savior of the world. The, the beginning moment, the Genesis moment of Jesus' ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptizer. That's why he's called John the Baptizer. He baptizes. That's what he does. So he baptizes Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in a special way, almost like a dove. And the, the heavens open and the voice of the great I Am speaks so that the people around can hear. Can you imagine that moment? They heard the voice of God. And in this defining moment, this is what God said. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In the Genesis moment of Jesus' ministry, God said one thing. I'm proud of my son. Because the father heart of God is always proud of his children. And I love that God says I'm proud of my son because Jesus hadn't really done anything yet. <laughs> he hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't healed the lame. He hadn't given sight to the blind. He hadn't done all the stuff that we wrote down about him. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't risen from the dead yet. And God's declaration is I'm proud of him because a good father is proud of his son. I believe God's proud of you today. Not because of what you've done. Not because you got your act together. He's proud of you because he's a good father. I can't tell you how many times I've told my sons that I'm proud of them. And they've asked me why. <laughs> I've said, because you're my son. Like on your good days and your bad days, I'm proud of you. That There's not some measurement that you have to live up to this and then I'll be proud of you. That's not the heart of a father. That's surely not the heart of your heavenly father. What comes to our minds when we think about God, well, he intends for that to be a perfect father. Years ago, my brother Mark gave me a book uh, by a really influential man in his life. As a matter of fact, the guy who did he and his wife Sarah's wedding, Floyd McClung is his name. And the name of the book is The Father Heart of God. And it's a good book, but the best part of the book is that title. <laughs> I, I love that phrase, The Father Heart of God. Again and again on the pages of scriptures, we see the heart of God revealed for his people, and it's the heart of a father. And we see specifically in our text today that it's that, that we, because of our adoption, because of our position as his sons and daughters, we say, Abba. We cry out, Abba, Father. If you've been around the church for a while, maybe you've been told that Abba is kind of like saying Daddy or Papa. And I don't know that that's a perfect translation, but it's probably the best we've got in English. It, it's a non-formal, it's an intimate title, not father. <laughs> and certainly not all those stained glass pictures of God, God the Father, right? There's no echo in that name, Abba. It's, it's an intimate, it's a, we have a relationship, we're close, we, we know what's going on. That's the picture painted in Abba, Father. It's so important to God that we see Him as a perfect Father. But here's the thing. If it's important to God that we see Him that way, it's important to the enemy that that vision is broken, that, that picture is corrupted or lessened or wounded in some way. Living in a broken world, we're in constant conflict with an enemy who wants to break the image of fatherhood. 
As a matter of fact, according to the National Fatherhood Initiative, one out of four kids in the U.S., one in four, 25% of kids in the U.S., live in a home without any father figure. Not, not a stepfather or, or not they see their dad just every other weekend. One in four have no relationship with a father. And, and I'm not sure that sh- should surprise us. Of course the enemy wants to, to break the vision of fatherhood. And then beyond that, for the three-fourths that do have a father, many have a really broken relationship with their father. Because I think the enemy seeks to destroy fatherhood. He seeks to create a wound when we think about God. And having lost my father this past month, many of you have asked me, how are you doing? Because some of you know uh, what I don't talk about a whole lot, usually when a camera is rolling, and that is I had a pretty broken relationship with my father. Uh, my father was my pastor, and he was my abuser. And, and so some of you have asked, how are you doing with that? And, man, are you okay in that? And here's the deal. I, there are wounds there. But I have found that in God the Father, there's healing to those wounds. There's victory over those wounds that, that I believe my Heavenly Father is working hard to reshape my view of who He is. I've come to learn something that, that Louis Giglio said way more articulately in that book than I could ever say. He said it this way, God is not the reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. God's not just a bigger version of our earthly dads, and sometimes that's how we view him. No, he's everything you ever wanted your dad to be. He's the perfection of your earthly father. And here's good news to all the dads who are watching. I know it's not Father's Day weekend yet, but here's the deal. Your kids do have a perfect father. And the best thing we can do as dads is actually point them to him for all the ways that we fall short with our kids. And we're all going to do that, right? None of us are going to be perfect dads. That's not even the goal. We already have one. We already have a perfect father. He loves us and is for us. And the more we can see him for who he is, and the more we can help our kids see him for who he is, the more free we will be and the more healed we will be. Because I believe that the perfect father wants to heal the wounds of an earthly father. The perfect father wants to heal the wounds of our earthly fathers. He is a healer. That's who our father is. And that healing doesn't come by ignoring our wounds. We need to look at them. We need to face them. For some of us, the things we struggle with and that we feel drawn to and keep getting sucked back to, They're really just escaping from the reality of those wounds. And the best thing we could do is reach out for help and say, I need to talk about these hurts. I need some perspective in these wounds. I need to experience some healing in these wounds. Healing isn't found in ignoring those wounds. But it's also not found in fixating on them. Healing doesn't come when I just stare at my wounds and constantly talk about my wounds and make excuses for my behavior because of my wounds and and, 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 and stay captive in my wounds. Here's where healing is found. Healing is found when we consider somebody else's wounds on our behalf. Namely, the Son of God. See, I believe that Jesus was wounded so that we could be healed. In this great chapter, in Romans chapter 8, we read that God did not spare His own Son but freely gave him up for all of us. 
See, God the Father allowed His Son to be wounded so that all of our wounds could be healed. That's how much He loves you. Jesus submitted to that with joy because He knew what it was to exist in that perfect relationship and that's what He wanted for you too. The prophet Isaiah declared that He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him and by His wounds we are healed. Through Jesus, we can find healing for every wound that's come our way. Through Jesus, we can find victory and we can find access to the perfect Father. In our 23rd Psalm sermon series at the beginning of this month and and last month, I, I mentioned several times how Jesus quoted from the cross, not from the 23rd Psalm, but from the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's what I want you to hear today. Jesus experienced being forsaken by the Father so that you would never have to live a single day apart from the Father's blessing over you, apart from His favor over you. He'll never abandon you. The reason Jesus was forsaken is so you never have to be. What we think about, when we think about God, it's the most important thing about us. Or is it? Man, let me flip the script. So another brilliant guy from an age ago, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis heard a theologian say that the most important thing about us was what we think about when we think about God. Not A.W. Tozer, it was before his time. And C.S. Lewis wrote this about that phrase. He said, how God thinks about us is way more important than how we think about God. Not only more important, but infinitely more important. C.S. Lewis said, How God thinks about us is way more important than how we think about Him. And to conclude our time together this morning, I just want to speak over you how God thinks about you. This is a glimpse of the Father heart of God from right here in Romans chapter 8. Maybe with your earthly father, you felt like you never lived up. You could never get anything right. Well, in the eyes of your heavenly father, Verse number one says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe with your earthly father, you inherited some of the same bad patterns, the same addictions, the same default responses, and you feel stuck in that. And here's what your heavenly father says in verse two of Romans eight, that the the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You're not in bondage to that on the authority of your Heavenly Father. Maybe in your earthly father's uh, relationship, you would say, He never took good care of me. He never provided well for our family. There's there's not an inheritance being left here. There, There wasn't hardly food on the table. And here's what your Heavenly Father says to you in verse 17. You are heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's an inheritance. Maybe your relationship with your earthly father, you would say, it's just been painful. There's just been a lot of wounds. And what the heavenly father says over you in verse 18 is that his relationship is so good that we can say that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. 
Maybe you would say in your earthly relationship, you never really knew how to talk to your dad. You never knew how to just sit down and have a conversation. And here's what our father says. He's given us his Holy Spirit. In verse 26, he says, when we don't know what to pray, the spirit himself intercedes for us. He does the work of our connection with him. Maybe you would say, my earthly dad, he didn't really look out for me. I didn't think he had my back. And here's what we know about our heavenly father. He works, verse 28, everything together for good. Maybe you would say, I'm not really convinced that my earthly dad was really for me. Well, here's what I believe in verse 31. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Maybe you would say, man, I'm convinced I'm never going to live up. I'm convinced I'm always going to come up short. I'm, I'm really going to be a failure. That's what I heard spoken over me as my earthly dad. And here's what I would say to you based on the authority of your heavenly father. No, no, in all these things, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. Verse 37. And maybe for you, the story of your earthly dad is maybe he walked out on you. Or maybe he just wasn't there. Maybe, maybe he abandoned you. And what I would say to you, verses 38 and 39, is I am sure, I'm confident, I'm, I'm sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is how the Heavenly Father thinks of you. And today what I believe He wants to do for just a moment is give us a glimpse that we could see Him the way He sees us. He loves you. He's for you. He's present. And He wants to heal you and give you life. If you don't know for sure that you've crossed over into that kind of relationship with Him, then I ask you today, would would you be willing just to click the link that says, Can We Talk? and reach out. We'd love to have a conversation. Listen, we don't have all the answers. We're not the solution. We just want to point you to your Father. We just want to introduce you to your Heavenly Father. Please let us know. Maybe you would say, I think I know Him. I think I have a relationship with Him. But the wounds of my earthly Father are so fresh, they're so raw, they're so painful that that I'm, I'm thinking of a version of God that isn't the real God and I need some help. Again, click that link. We'd love to start some conversations with you about how you can experience healing of earthly wounds by heavenly love. We'd love to engage in that today because we believe there's nothing greater than the favor of the Father's love over you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for being a perfect Father, a loving Father, a heavenly Father who heals us, who redeems us, who walks with us, and who is for us. God, would you heal the hurts of those who are struggling this morning? And for those who would say, I'm not struggling, would you just strengthen the view of the Father heart of God in all of us? Because if we can see you, who you are, it'll be the most important reality in our life. It'll shape us. It'll guide us. It'll free us. And it will transform us. God, let us see you for who you are. In Jesus' name.